Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. I am so excited to share with you some personal stories, inspiring tips, helpful information and guest interviews to support you on your journey in finding peace with food. And today is podcast number four. And my subject today is all about eating disorder recovery. I'm exploring five common myths that we can have about recovery and then talking about the reality of the journey. So when you're embarking on the recovery road from disordered eating, you can have an ideal fantasy about what this might look like. You also will understandably have many, many fears along with this. But maybe some of your preconceived ideas will be true, but others will most certainly be not. So I'm going to be sharing some of my own experience and also drawing on the experiences of many of my clients that I've worked with over the years. So myth number one, recovery is about seeking the perfect meal plan from an external source with precisely the right balance of food groups to meet my needs. I will follow it to the letter and food peace will be mine. Now this is such a common belief. Some of my clients are often bursting to see the dietitian for getting the holy grail meal plan. The one that gets to give the perfect proportions of all the things they need to eat and will help them dump the eating disorder for good. And it's such an understandable request because eating disorders are all about food, right? Just get that sorted and you'll be okay. The tricky thing is that they are about food, but eating disorders are also complex psychological problems. And they're usually a coping strategy, often unconscious, for underlying distress. So if it was just as simple as follow a meal plan, clients likely wouldn't be seeing someone like me, a therapist, anyway. So what often happens is people go and see the dietitian, they're told the nutritional info, and it's kind of the stuff we all know. You know, eating a balance of food groups, eating enough variety, eating enough for your bodily needs. And people often feel quite disillusioned, because they kind of could have told that information to someone else who was in standing in their shoes, or even if they couldn't apply it to themselves. Now, this isn't to put dietitians down, or nutritionists or nutritional therapists, as they are crucial in the recovery process, as people often need permission, informed guidance, and knowledge about how to manage their food intake. But it's not the magic pill. It's not the wonderful answer. It's not the thing to sort out all the problems. The reality of recovery is that a psychological understanding is an important part of the journey. This involves understanding why you developed eating issues, what the trigger was, how is the eating problem helping you cope and gaining an awareness of this so that you're able to begin to consider change. A meal plan might be very vital and important as a recovery segment at some point, but it's not the fix that we're hoping for. So... The reality is that recovery isn't about following a perfect plan, it's about developing a healthier relationship with food and with yourself. So from the food side, it means eating a variety of foods, proteins, carbohydrates, fats, eating tasty foods, childhood favourites, eating from restaurant menus, old forbidden foods. There's no perfect equation, but you can learn to trust your body to tell you what it needs. And it's a long game, one step at a time. So this leads me nicely on to myth number two. So the second myth is that recovery is a quick fix. 
kind of like, just give me a 30-day program and some strategies and all will be well. Now, again, this is understandable. We live in a fast-paced and instant gratification society. You can buy stuff on Amazon in a quick swipe. You can go supermarket shopping 24 hours a day. And we're constantly bombarded with information on our phones. A Google search gives you all the information you need in seconds. So it's understandable that we want to apply the same approach to recovery from disordered eating. You know, who wants a lengthy, painful, drawn-out therapy when the allure of quick-fix approaches just, they feel infinitely more appealing. And we might have often come from a dieting approach too when we approach recovery. And many diets are short in duration and quick with results. Not sustainable results, mind, but results. So we're often lured into the fantasy that changing our relationship with food should be just as easy. And it's common to see people maybe ditching the crash diets, the meal supplement ones, but then simply switching this to another slightly intense type of dieting. So maybe it's called a 30-day lifestyle plan, which really might be essentially another diet, but it might be masked under the veil of clean eating or something else. So this isn't really a solution to the problem, it's just a slight change of direction. And again, it's kind of buying into that idea that if you had the perfect meal plan, all would be well. And never mind as well, it's probably taken you months or years to develop disordered eating. So the unravelling of disordered eating habits and healing a relationship with food is going to take a bit of time. So the reality is, it does take time to recover from disordered eating. However, don't be put off by this. The journey is rich in not only changing your relationship with food, but also a whole new load of learning about your emotions, how you manage your relationships, and actually finding yourself, finding your identity separate from the eating disorder. So it's absolutely one worth investing in. This brings me on to myth number three. Now, this is one I relate to very much myself, and this is, If other people would change and start being more accepting of me and kind towards me, then I could finally accept myself. Now, this was me. 100% in my early 20s, I felt angry, disappointed and let down by certain people in my life. I was blaming and I took very little responsibility for what was happening. I worked tirelessly to try and gain the approval and acceptance of people that weren't able to give this to me. And I was furious that they weren't accepting of me felt entitled to it. This is what should happen. And I thought, how could I possibly accept myself when others, whose opinion I valued so deeply, didn't accept me? It felt like it was just impossible. So this is such a common theme I see in therapy. People continuing to go back to their childhood relationships, maybe carers that just weren't able to give them what they needed, but going back again and again to try and get what they need continuing to bang on the door of hope that this time maybe the parent can really do it for them. But sadly, sometimes this just isn't possible. And I know for me, it was a sad grieving process to realise what was possible from certain people around me and what was not. And this wasn't an overnight acceptance or suddenly feeling okay about it. It was a slow and gradual dilution of the raging feelings and a reluctant acceptance of the reality. And in time, it was an acknowledgement of people's real limitations in what they could give in down to their own childhood wounds. Beginning to understand that they were doing the best that they could at the time. 
and beginning to have more empathy and understanding for this. So the, reali the reality has been that it has been a grief to accept that some people in my life could not and cannot give me what I need. I was never going to be able to please them. I was never going to probably fully gain their acceptance. And this was a hard lesson to accept this. However, I have learned to have more compassion for others, as I really do believe that people are doing the best that they can at the time. I have had the opportunity to reflect and gain awareness of my own situation. And this means that as an adult, I can choose to parent myself in a different way. So this has been a hard and bitter pill to swallow, but actually the reality has actually been much better in the longer term. It would have left me very vulnerable to always be needing that external validation from others. Now this moves me on to myth number four. Now myth number four is, I am feeling the body positive vibes daily. Now in recovery, we can sometimes hope that the negative body thoughts are just going to get turned off. We fantasize that it's a bit like flicking a switch and that body acceptance can suddenly be ours. Our therapist, we hope, has the wonderful tools to make this possible. And oh, if only we did. <laughs> so if you're in the habit of regular body bashing and from a young age, you've, you've likely internalized our toxic cultural messages around fat phobia and thin idealization, then of course, you're going to struggle with suddenly rejecting all these ingrained beliefs. It's a bit like asking you to change your religion when you've been practicing maybe as a Muslim for many years and then you've been asked to change to becoming an atheist, a Buddhist or a Christian. You know, that is no easy switch. So you'll be so entrenched as well in habits and thought patterns that reinforce your old way of thinking. And so many of these will be unconscious. You don't even realise that you're doing it. So improving body image really is a long game and it will require regular daily questioning of the old beliefs and exposing yourself to different ways of thinking. The body positive movement, health at every size, the intuitive eating movement, these are all fantastic ways of doing this by reading up on them, engaging with people that promote the positive messages and absorbing yourself in all of these. So you'll need to immerse yourself, podcast videos, Instagram accounts, and consciously reject all the other rubbish that you'll be exposed to daily on your social media feed, in trashy magazines, and on billboards inviting you to the latest diet club. The good news is your body image can change massively. And part of this is moving away from evaluating yourself so much on how you look and your body size. It's about developing self-esteem that goes way beyond this and has much deeper and lasting value. And when you're 90 and you're looking back on your life, is being thin or striving to be thin really going to be the thing you've looked back on and have valued the most? I think not. There are so many other ways for you to bring value and purpose to the world. You don't want to be wasting another precious minute of your life channeling energy into weight loss or restriction. So body acceptance, it's a long game. And body positivity, it might be unrealistic to begin with, but don't let this detract you from your journey. Body acceptance is the first step. And moving on to my final myth number five, this is about identity. So sometimes we think we're going to be a completely new person when we're recovered from the eating disorder, or we really worry who we're going to be without the eating disorder. 
We can fear that we've somehow become the eating disorder and that is who we are. So disordered eating or trying to be the thinnest or the healthiest or whatever, it can begin to define us. We can become terrified about who will be without the disorder. And I used to think that the recovered me would be somehow an entirely different person. I was somehow going to be much more extroverted, wasn't going to be shy, I was going to be more sophisticated, really good academically, um, good at maths as well, smartly turned out. My frizzy hair would somehow disappear and yeah, life would just be easy, effortless, straightforward. But I guess the reality is we have to kind of embrace our true identity and who we are inside and out. And that is kind of allowing ourselves to be just ourselves. So I've had to embrace the fact that I do have frizzy hair, it's not going away. I'm quite quirky, I'm not really smart. I like fake leopard coats and red lipstick. And yes, I'm not going to be the smartly turned out person that I always long to be. And I'm really quite introverted. I love time alone, I love people, but I also find them quite draining too. And I really need time alone to kind of recoup and recharge. I'm very compassionate and sometimes overly so. And it means I've had to work really hard at setting boundaries and taking good care of myself. And I'm not very good at attention to detail. I'm not very good with figures. And, you know, even if I put in lots of effort, I don't think I'm ever really going to be that good at those things. And I really love my work. I'm someone that's very driven by my passions and values. And actually, these are the most important things to me. And I'm not going to be someone who works to live. Um, I definitely live to work. And that's kind of part of who I am. And I guess with all of this, there's no right or wrong. It's just trying to understand who we are and to embrace with that and to go with that and to really go with our strengths. And, you know, we're all really different and we're all really unique. We all have our special gifts and things to bring to the world. And it's about, you know, just going with who you are, not pretending that you have to be anyone else, not having to live up to anyone else's expectations, but just you being you. So I guess as well, I know for me in terms of my values, being the thinnest or praised for how my body looks is really not that important. In the scheme of things, you know, it's not up there in my top five values. Yes, I want to take care of my body and be healthy. You know, I really do want to live till I'm 100. I often say that to my children. So taking care of my body is really important. But actually, how it looks, it's really not so important anymore. And I can let that go and I can focus on the other things that are important. So have a ponder and reflect on these five myths that I've talked about. And let me know in the comments about your own experience of recovery. Did you have any kind of myths that you held on to and then you found that the reality of recovery has been very different? And if you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at The Eating Disorder Therapist. And for regular tips and insights into overcoming disordered eating, do sign up for weekly articles on my blog page at rethinkyourbody.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. Bye for now.